Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that You would keep and guard us for Yourself. And we pray this with great boldness because our Lord Jesus prayed this for us that You would keep and guard us so we know that we have what we have asked for. And as we preach on this passage, help us to understand what it is that we pray for that uh, we might uh, overcome the discouragement that uh, many um, feel on a daily basis because of the struggle that we have because we are in the world even though we are not of the world. And we are faced with constant temptation and schemes of the evil one to uh, drag us away. But You are faithful. And so keep us and guard us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the third sermon from John 17, verses 6-19. through 19. Lord willing, I'll have one more sermon from this passage. I've approached this passage from the standpoint of how to live as a Christian in a non-Christian world. I've spoken very little about how we are to live as Christians because I focus primarily on what God has done to help us live as Christians in a non-Christian world. So two weeks ago, we saw that God has drawn a division between us and the world. We are no longer of the world. We belong to God. Then last week, we saw that God has made us His people. We are His dearly loved people. He rejoices over us because He loves us so much. This week, we're going to see that Christ prays to God that God would keep and guard us. We'll see that Christ prays that God would keep and guard us from the evil one. Then we're going to see that that uh, Christ prays that God would keep us and guard us from disunity among ourselves. Are there any among us, or are, sorry, are there among us any of you who are discouraged about your Christian life uh, and so discouraged that you stopped actively living for Christ? Maybe you've gotten caught, caught up with the current of the world. And you've tried many things to make it back to the shore only to find yourself out back in the strong current. I suspect that it is a situation that is common among us. Make no mistake, the rip currents of the world are strong. Andrew Murray says that there is nothing the Christian life, I'm sorry, there is nothing the Christian um, life suffers more from than the subtle worldliness that comes from the cares or the possessions of this life. I know it is difficult to escape the pull of the world. And so I want to encourage you this morning to swim all the way back to the shore and cling to Jesus Christ as the only true anchor for your soul. You can make it to the shore. You can escape the undertow of the world. Don't give up. Don't give in 
Don't let discouragement overcome you and drag you under. If you belong to Christ, He will not let you go. He is faithful. So don't waste one more moment of your life out in the current of worldliness. Seek Him now. Seek Him in repentance for your worldliness. Seek Him in repentance for not loving Him supremely. Seek Him in repentance for allowing your soul to seek the world rather than Him. Seek Him in repentance for all the opportunities that you have had to serve Him that you have let go by the by because you are preoccupied with the world. Commonly, when discouragement overcomes a person, they have a hard time believing that they can ever escape the discouragement. When, when discouragement clouds your vision, that's all you see is discouragement. And it seems like a, a mountain bigger than anyone could climb. Especially if you've made many attempts previously to, um, to escape the discouragement or to escape uh, the current of the world. And uh, previous, uh, and 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 then get uh, sucked back in. If this is you, you're probably saying to yourself, Pastor, what makes you think that my repentance today will yield better results than the last time I tried to escape the current of the world? The only thing that I have to offer you is this: the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He will keep you. He will guard you. He will never let you go ultimately away from Him. Jesus knew that the disciples were about to abandon Him. They were about to disown Him. He was only an hour or so uh, at the most away from being arrested. And He knew their faith would be shaken to its core when He was hung on the cross. He knew that they would be sorely tempted to become skeptical of all the claims He made while He was with them as He was lying in the grave. So Jesus prayed for them, and He prayed for them in their hearing so that they would be encouraged. Look at verses 10-12. through 12. Jesus says in His prayer to His Father, All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name which You have given Me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost but for the son of destruction." that the Scripture might be fulfilled. In effect, Jesus is telling the disciples that He loves them even in spite of their approaching uh, abandonment. He is telling them that God the Father loves them just as much as He loves Jesus even in spite of their approaching abandonment. He is telling them that because they belong to Him, He will not repay their abandonment in kind. He will not repay their abandonment with abandonment. Jesus' prayer for His disciples is very specific. 
He prays uh, there in verse 11, halfway uh, through the verse, Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name which You have given Me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Jesus is praying to the Father to keep them and to guard them just as Jesus kept and guarded them while He was on earth with them. This idea of keeping, uh, this idea of Jesus keeping His disciples refers to Jesus' work as the Good Shepherd. He kept His disciples just like a shepherd keeps his sheep. How does a shepherd keep his sheep? A shepherd watches over his sheep. A shepherd cares for his sheep. A shepherd supervises them continually so that none stray or get lost. He makes sure that they are provided adequate food and water. In other words, this idea of keeping His disciples means that they were always under His constant care. In other words, while you're living as a Christian in a non-Christian world, Christ is keeping you. He is caring for for you. His eye is always upon you. He will not let you get lost. He is never going to leave you. He will provide for you exactly what you need. Jesus not only kept His disciples, He also guarded them. A shepherd guards the flock from attacks. He also guards the flock from dangerous places. And so, because Jesus was leaving to go to the Father, this is His prayer, that the Father would provide for them in exactly the same way. That the Father would act as a good shepherd for the sheep. That the Father would constantly keep them in His care. That the Father would always protect them and guard them. And this prayer request continues for each one of us who are in Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed then, and God the Father keeps constant care over you now. This is especially important for us to remember, since, uh, or it was especially important for the for the um, the disciples to remember, because they were going to be attacked. Also, we are going to be attacked. Look at verses fourteen and fifteen. Jesus said, "I have given them your word." And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The world is going to hate us, and Satan is going to attack us. We've thought quite a bit lately on the hatred of the world. We've talked about that in different sermons recently. And over the next two weeks, we're going to organize our church service around the International Day of Prayer for the, for the persecuted church. So I'm not going to address the hatred of the world. There will be plenty of time in the next couple of weeks to do that. Rather, I'm going to jump right over and speak about the attacks of Satan because he prays that uh, the Father would keep us, I mean, keep them, and keep also us um, from the evil one. 
The reason Jesus prays that God the Father would protect them from the evil one is because the attacks of the evil one are real. Uh, Christians these days, I think, to our detriment, to our harm, overlook the reality of uh, Satan and of spiritual warfare. Jesus prayed in, uh, for Peter in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then Jesus continues, and when you have turned again, because Peter did uh, denounce Jesus, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Make no mistake, the temptations of the world are not temptations in isolation. Satan is scheming. He is strategizing to make your temptations more tempting. Your battle to resist worldliness is not simply a battle in your own will. Self-discipline alone will not get you out of the rip current of the world. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Are you consciously aware of the tremendous spiritual conflict in which we all are involved? Are you aware of your need to be kept and guarded by God? There is one surefire way for you to test your awareness of your need to be kept and guarded by God. And that is, how is your prayer life? Is it fervent? Is it continual? Because your prayer life will be fervent and continual if you understand the real need that you have to be kept by God, to be guarded by God. Because Satan is a real and active enemy. The dangers presented by Satan are real. They are typically uh, subtle, which makes them even more dangerous because we don't even recognize when we are being attacked. We spend much of our time praying about our health, about our projects, about our decisions, about our finances, and about our family, yet we spend little time praying about the dangers and attacks of the evil one. Jesus here, in His high priestly prayer, is praying, Father, keep them and guard them from the evil one. 
Before I move to my last point, I need to mention that our problem is not just the temptations of the world and the attacks of the evil one. Our biggest problem, our biggest problem by far, has little to do with the world or with the devil. Our greatest problem is our own sinful desires. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each one, each one, or we could say each one of you, myself, each one, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The world could tempt and Satan could scheme all day long. But it is our own desire that gives birth to sin. We are our own worst enemy. We, even as believers have indwelling sin that wages war inside our soul. Our sin desires what our redeemed soul hates. So I ask again, how is your prayer life? Is it fervent? Is it continual? Because that is a barometer of how much you know that you need to be kept and guarded by God. The world hates us. Satan schemes against us to seek to devour us. Our hearts are sinful. How is your prayer life? Satan seeks to wreak havoc in our soul. And left unchecked, he will do just that. He also seeks to wreak havoc in our church. Look at Jesus' prayer in verse 11. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me. And then why? That they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prays that the Father would keep them and guard them in order that they may be one. In other words, that they may be unified. In other words, one of Satan's great schemes is to create disunity among believers. We are foolish if we think that we are beyond Satan's schemes here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. He is continually sowing seeds of discord and disunity to disrupt the gospel ministry of the church. When one person... Or when one person sins against another, a seed is sown. When one person gossips about another, a seed is sown. When one person tries to manipulate another, a seed is sown. When one person acts selfishly toward another, a seed is sown. When one person judges the motives of another, a seed is sown. I am grateful for the love of one another here in this congregation. 
that helps us to overcome the seeds of discord and do not let all the seeds of uh, disunity germinate. But when those seeds do, those seeds of discord and disunity do germinate, do take root and begins to grow, what it does is it draws our attention away from the Lord Jesus Christ and it takes our attention and places it on the, 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 the drama. Um, everybody likes to rubberneck when there's human wreckage taking place. Like in the high school where everybody comes running out to see the schoolyard fight. Church people gossip and talk when there's disagreement. And it builds disunity. It builds discord. Christians have a poor habit of avoiding the person with whom we are disagreeing. When we're disagreeing with the person, Romans, I mean uh, Matthew 18 says we should go to that person. Instead, we go to our friends and we complain about the other person. We make our case to everybody except the person to whom we're having the disagreement. Let me be clear. This is the work of Satan. No matter how right we are in the disagreement, no matter how wrong the other person is in the disagreement, when we do not work things out with a person or persons with whom we are disagreeing, we are doing Satan's work for him. Most of the disagreements start at the leadership level because that's where most of the the decisions in the local church are typically made. And so it is especially incumbent upon the leadership to practice biblical reconciliation and mutual submission. Where the leadership is not unified, the congregation suffers and Satan triumphs. John Rogers and his brand new wife, Lynette. Uh, John was 28, his uh, wife 26. They were just married last week. Uh, they were married in, in Ireland in the first Presbyterian church of, in the town where she grew up. And then they immediately left for their honeymoon down in South Africa. I don't know if you heard about this, um, but they went down to South Africa on their honeymoon. They went out into the ocean and they got caught in a rip current. Both were drowned on their honeymoon. The rip current of the world is a real and powerful influence. It is deadly. Much more deadly than the rip currents we can find in the Gulf or off the coast of South Africa. Then you add to that the schemes of Satan and the rip currents of the world become that much more powerful and that much more deadly. And then you add to that the indwelling sin that resides within us and yearns incessantly for self. And it's an impossibly powerful um, temptation to resist. All of us have given in to it. All of us have been targeted by Satan. All of us have the indwelling sin still living in us and will continually wage war uh, within our soul 
for the rest of our lives until God takes us to glory and we sin no more. So I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let yourself get bogged down in discouragement because of your giving in to sin. Because when you get discouraged, you give in just that more, that much more quickly. Instead of getting bogged down, instead of getting discouraged, repent of it. And if you have to repent of it the next day, repent of it the next day. If you have to repent of it the day after that, five times on that next day, repent of it. But here's the good news. You have an abundance of help from your Lord Jesus Christ. He prays to the Father for you to receive all the grace and the help that you need to overcome and triumph in Him. He will keep you because He is the Good Shepherd. He will guard you because He is the Good Shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Great Shepherd of the sheep, keep and guard us because we are wholly unable to overcome the schemes of Satan, to overcome the temptations of the world, to even overcome our own desires and lusts without You at work in us. We praise You that You have promised everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank You that if Christ did not spare His own life but gave it up for us all, that He will also along with Him graciously give us all things. So we cling to Him. He is the anchor for our soul. Father, I pray especially for those souls that are discouraged and despondent. Work faith in them that they might be able to swim to the shore. In fact, I pray by Your Spirit You would drag them to the shore and anchor them fast and safe in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.